We are focusing today on the amazing power thank you, and range of prayer. And the Bible is full of prayers. It's full of people praying in different ways for different things at different times with different emotions, the full range. And, include, and in, in fact, there's not only just various examples of people praying, there's an entire book of prayers, more or less. The book of Psalms, which in many ways are, is the prayer book of the Hebrew people and the prayer book of the church. What do we know about prayer? There are things that we know, and there are things that you, I'm sure, know as well. We know that prayer is a lot of things, but at its base level, we know that it is how we communicate with the Lord God Almighty. That fact alone should almost make us pause and fall to our feet. The fact that we have a direct connection to God. How amazing is that? And through that connection, we become deeply connected to God. And that actually can drive all of who we are and direct all that we do in this world. The devotions that are in this uh, deeply connected booklet are seven different reflections, and each of them focus on one person in the Bible and how they developed a posture of prayer. So our denomination, just a few months ago, for the first time ever, elected a woman president as the leader of our Covenant Church denomination. Her name is Tammy and she is a fabulous woman of God, and she is a bulldog. She gets things done. And the first thing that she said to us when I, at a conference that I was at back in January was she called the church to prayer. She said amidst all of the division that we see, and even more than the division, the tone of much of our communication, both in and outside of the church, we need a hard reset. And so this call to prayer is one of those things that I took to heart when I heard it from one of my leaders. And it's something that, as the church, we want to be about 24-7, 365. So that's what we are going to be doing as we go through today and also as we start a new series in a couple weeks, and it's going to take us all the way through the end of June. When you look through the Bible, you find all kinds of prayers, prayers of protection and provision, prayers for peace. You get the alliteration, prayers of power and prayers of promise. And maybe you can come up with a few other P words for prayers we know that prayer is a critical spiritual practice and it's a gracious gift from God. In times of uncertainty and anxiety, we can seek the Lord. In fact, we should seek the Lord. 
we should cry out to the one who is our steady rock and firm foundation when we are in those particular times of great need where we don't know what to do. We don't know how we are going to get through. We seek guidance and direction towards the path that God prepares for us. And conversely, in those times of great joy and gratitude, which often can be at the same time, I don't know about you, but my life isn't always just perfectly perfect or awfully awful. It's usually a combination of both, somewhere in the middle. In those times of joy and gratitude, we also can turn to Christ Jesus in prayer, giving thanks and praise to him. Giving thanks to the one who is the center of our life. The one who is our focus, our savior, our north star who's always there who will point the way. Prayer is such a foundational part of who we are as followers of Christ. It leads to a deep relationship with with God that actually grounds us and centers us and opens our ears so that we are able to listen when God speaks. See, sometimes we think of prayer as us primarily talking to God, but prayer is a two-way street, and through prayer, we actually learn to listen to what God is saying. And then in faith, we follow wherever the Lord is leading. Today, we're going to focus on one of those people, Elijah. We're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, and around chapters 18 and 19. And these are some pretty well-known stories in 1 Kings. But we actually learn a lot about God in how God communicates with Elijah. See, for Elijah, who we think of as a strong man of God, one of the Lord's prophets, an amazing prophet, he must have been super in touch with God if God is trusting him to speak on behalf of God. But Elijah, for however strong and connected he was, still had a few things to learn because, you know what, he's still a human. He is prone to all of the things that we experience. Just like when Jesus was here on earth, the same was true for him. Jesus experienced everything, and so did Elijah. We're going to highlight four of the truths that we see through some of these interactions and prayers as we learn to develop a posture of prayer in our own life. So I'm going to start with, I found some pictures from, one of, from a biblical reenactment of parts of 1 Kings. And we're starting with a showdown, a showdown between earthly and divine power, a showdown between a king of this earth and the God, little g God, that he followed versus the Lord God Almighty. King Ahab of Israel. The Bible says that he was one of the worst kings ever. He was a king who provoked or aroused the anger of God more than anyone because of all that he did to try to thwart God. He married Jezebel, who was a daughter of a king from the north part. 
of Phoenicia, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, just north of Israel a little bit. And that king and his daughter Jezebel, they were serious Baal worshipers. Baal was probably the most important or most followed of the Canaanite gods. You've heard of Baal before. Ahab and Jezebel built a temple to Baal. They built an altar to Baal. I don't know that Ahab was ever fully on board with it. He seemed to kind of waver back and forth a little bit. But he fully embraced what his wife also brought in. Elijah, a prophet of the Lord, receives a word from the Lord. The Lord at this point is none too happy with what's happening. And so he sends a word to Elijah and says, guess what? I am going to send a profound drought upon the land. Now we actually have the opposite of a drought right now, but we have been in drought conditions. Now imagine getting, it says, no rain or even dew for three years. Imagine if that's your whole livelihood which is what most of the people who lived in this land had to experience. Three whole years. And there's a bunch of stories related to what happened during that time. Elijah announces this coming drought, and then I want us to fast forward. Three whole years. Three years later, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and he is supposed to go to King Ahab and tell him that the rains are going to come. The problem is, is that this was particularly dangerous because in the interim, Jezebel had grown so mad that she was systematically killing off all of the prophets of the Lord. So to go before the king meant you were subjecting yourself probably to being killed. But that is what Ahab and Elijah do. They have this conversation. It actually says that, ironically, Ahab goes to Elijah. You would think that it would be the other way, Elijah coming to see the king, but actually it's the opposite. And when Ahab approaches Elijah, he basically says, is that you, you troublemaker? He thinks that Elijah is the one that has brought all this trouble upon the land. Elijah says, I haven't caused any trouble, but you and your family have. Now, can you imagine being that bold? to call out the king and his family. I'm not the troublemaker. You are and your family. You abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed Baal. And then Elijah announces a showdown at Mount Carmel for all the people to come to. Mount Carmel was in the north part of Israel, closer to the coast. And it was a long time place where there was Baal worship. Elijah says to the people, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. He's making them come to a place where they have to choose. And it says the people were silent. This is in chapter 18. Elijah is ready for this in many ways. But he has a little bit of, uh, I would say, a lack of confidence at first. 
See, he thinks that he's the only one left. In fact, he announces that. He says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord that's left. This is what he thinks in his mind. I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. And it's me against the 450 prophets of Baal that showed up. One versus 450. And so in this process, what do they do? They take two bulls, and he says, we're each going to sacrifice one, and I'm gonna, we're each going to call down upon our God and see who answers. And I'll let you guys go first because there's more of you. And that's what they do. They prepare this bull They put it on this wood. He has them prepare all the wood so that there's no tricks. And then they start to call upon Baal. Day turns into afternoon, turns into evening. They call upon their God to send fire down and burn up that sacrifice, and there is no response, no answer. It's as if they're calling on the telephone and there's just static. It says, actually, no one paid attention. Okay, so they've had their chance. Now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah does the same thing. He prepares the bull. But then he tells some of his helpers to pour water on it, and then to do it again, and then to do it a third time. And then that's not good enough. Let's build a trench around it and fill that with water. Let's make sure that there is no doubt what happens in this midst. And so he prepares this sacrifice. And this is his prayer. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God. And that you are turning their hearts back again. The word says immediately the fire of the Lord rained down burning everything up, the sacrifice, the wood, the stones that it was laying on, the soil even, and the water. Nothing was left. And what happened? All the people who were there fell on their faces and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. You can imagine what King Ahab felt. He probably felt like a fool at that moment. The rain clouds came. Elijah tells Ahab, quick, run, get down to Jezreel. Take your chariots and go, because once the rain starts, your chariot will not be able to get through the mud. So Ahab takes off. It's about 30 miles from Mount Carmel down to Jezreel in a valley. And it says, Elijah was empowered by the Lord and he starts running and he actually beats him there. We know he must have been empowered by the Lord to do that. And he gets to Jezreel. And at this point, he's probably thinking, okay, hopefully I'm in the clear. Hopefully they, they won't find me and kill me. Let's read what happens. 1 Kings chapter 19. 
Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. See, all those prophets of Baal, they died. They were killed. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, we're not familiar with all these places. Beersheba is about 100 miles from Jezreel. Elijah gets word, and his first instinct, I better run away. I am scared out of my mind. He travels about 100 miles down to this town. And the story continues. He came to a broom brush, broom bush. Say that three times. Sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Broom bush tree is a very important tree in this area. It's, kind of, it's not very tall, but it spreads out. It, it looks like sometimes when you see, um, sometimes you see grandmothers with those like whisk br- brushes, you know, they're, they're sweeping outside. This is kind of what that tree looks like, the opposite of that. And Elijah falls asleep under this tree. He's exhausted. Think of all that had just happened at Mount Carmel the day before. He's fearful. His anxiety is so great that he is depressed and has lost hope. He wants to die. He feels like a failure. He feels, I'm not worthy like some who have gone before me. This is Elijah, one of the greatest heroes in the Bible that we read about. One of the most powerful people that God used and empowered. This prayer that he says, Lord, take my life. What a change from the prayer that he had just prayed at Mount Carmel. Quite a shift from a humble yet powerful prayer just before. Now, this is a, we would call this a prayer of lament, but it's more like a prayer of despair, a prayer of desperation. Those things that you might cry out to God in the middle of the night where you, when you don't know what to do or where to turn. Yet here is where we notice one of those powerful truths that I think we can hold on to. And it's this, in the moment of his despair, God faithfully shows up. God faithfully shows up. He's not so concerned whether Elijah is right or wrong in this moment. He shows up and he listens to his prayers. For you and me, the same is true. God is not too busy to show up and listen to your prayers. 
There's that movie, I can't what's that movie called where, is it Morgan Freeman plays the character of God? Yeah, Bruce Almighty. And then, um, what's, what's that actor's name? I forgot his name. Jim Carrey. And, you know, he starts doing all the work of God, and then he realizes, and then it, it just gets out of control. That's not God. God can handle all of that. He, it's like he's, he's a constant fax machine of information coming in. And he's never too busy to listen to you. I know that when I think about that, it's a little bit mind-blowing. That the Lord God Almighty of the universe actually has time and makes time for us. God is not too busy to listen to our prayers. Elijah runs away in fear right after experiencing the complete power of God. He witnesses the turning of hearts back to the Lord. And in a matter of moments, he's at the end of his rope. He's had it. Amid all of his efforts, the death threats continue. He's like, I've been doing the work of the Lord. Why aren't things improving? Why is stuff not getting better? Fearing for his life, he says, I'm out, Lord. Take my life. The posture that I see of Elijah here before God is one of honesty. He's completely honest with God. It's the same kind of posture that God wants from us. He wants you to be honest. See, the problem is that we sometimes take those things and we, we direct it at other people. I know I do that. I know some of you do that too. God is like, no, direct it to me first. I can take it. I can help redirect you. I want your honesty. And this is what Elijah does. He tells God exactly how he's feeling, and then he's exhausted, so exhausted that he falls asleep under the tree. It's been said before, never underestimate the power of a nap, that it actually can help at times, especially when we are ornery and anxious and even at the end of our rope. And in that moment of despair and deep depression, God shows up. Elijah cried out, and God does something. He sends an angel to minister to him. Let's continue the story. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. He ate senorita bread. He had a cup of tea. Sorry, we, don't, we have no pillows here. We, don't, we have no blankets, no beanbag chairs. You could probably find a corner to curl up in if you need it. Rest and food. And it continues. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Who needs to hear that from God this morning? Maybe someone. So he got up and ate and drank. And it says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, 
the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Horeb, also called Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, some 200 miles. This is where he was directed to go. He's provided more food and rest for the journey, and then he's told, go to the place where God has showed up before. And I'm going to show you something. This is one of the other truths that I think we need to recognize. God cares for us. He doesn't just provide for our needs. He provides what we need. And in this moment for Elijah, what he needed most was strength so that he would be able to be in the place that God needed him to be. Did that mean tangible things? Yes. Food, water, sleep. Naps are spiritual. All right? Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Providing what we need so that we are able to be where God wants us to be and prepared to do whatever God has planned for us next, even if we don't know what that is. Elijah, exhausted, hungry, afraid, alone. And in that state, it's no wonder that he was discouraged and depressed. God provides exactly what he needed. And at that point, just before he got there, he was in no position to be able to hear God. Too tired, too anxious, too hungry, too thirsty. The only posture necessary from Elijah at that moment was to receive. Are you able to receive? I know some of you would rather give. Are you able to receive? That's what was necessary from Elijah in that moment. God cares for us. This is what God can and does do for you and me as well. Let's go on in the story. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for you, for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. God asks that question first, and Elijah responds with that prayer of lament, which kind of sounds more like a prayer of complaining, which sometimes that's what our prayers can become as well. It almost sounds like a prayer of pity, a little whiny. You know, maybe you have some other words that you're thinking of. He's, he's sharing how he feels, but it, it kind of comes across a little hollow at first. I'm zealous for you, Lord. I'm working hard. Why aren't more people listening? Why aren't hearts turning? Even though hearts had just turned in Mount Carmel. How does God respond then to him? Verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God gives him a direct command. 
See, in the state that Elijah is in at this point, he's still not ready to really listen to God. God needs to be pretty direct with him. Do this. Simple instruction. Sometimes when we're in those places, we just need a very simple instruction to follow. We don't need the 10-step plan. We don't need the 10-step words of comfort. We just need to be told one simple thing. And that's what God does for him. And this is what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. You can imagine already. A great and terrible sight to behold. Pretty, pretty scary if, you're, if you were not fully paying attention, that's something that surely would grab your attention at first. It brings back some of our images of when God was on Mount Sinai before and all those dramatic displays of power where the the clouds were roiling and the light was shining and the earth was shaking and all of this was happening. And the people were down in the valley and Moses was up on the top of the mountain with God. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So he gets two more dramatic images. Most of us have been in an earthquake before. Some of you are unlucky enough to have been in some of the bigger ones in previous generations. Can be very scary. Some of you have experienced, or you know, people that have experienced dramatic fires. We have those here too, as well. All three of these dramatic acts of power, and it says the Lord was not, his presence was not in that. Where is the Lord's presence? The Lord chooses to reveal his presence. It says he comes in a gentle whisper. Verse 13, verse 12. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. A gentle whisper. It literally means the sound of sheer silence. One time when I was teaching high schoolers, I got so frustrated. They just wouldn't. I was never allowed to say this word growing up, shut up. But they just wouldn't shut up. And so for 40 minutes, I sat on my chair at the front, and I didn't say a word. I just sat there. That was the hardest 40 minutes, I think, of, of my entire time that I was teaching. It's uncomfortable even for the 15 or 20 seconds of sheer silence that we had. But to sit there in silence for a long time, it's uncomfortable for us. 
This is how God chose to speak to Elijah. Whatever it sounded like, or the absence of sound, it grabbed his attention. It got his attention. It somehow got him out of his own head and into a place where he would be able to actually listen to the Lord. Sometimes it's way too loud and noisy and busy for us to be able to hear the word of the Lord. God can accomplish more with a whisper than we can ever imagine. And God shows his complete power and greatness in this moment. He can do those dramatic, amazing things, signs of power. He can perform miracles, but he can also show up in complete silence. A voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him the same question as before. And verse 14, it said, and Elijah replied, with the exact same prayer of complaint that he had before. But maybe he had, I don't know if he had a different tone. The Bible doesn't say, but I imagine that he has at least a slightly different tone. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. This was take two. And this is when God chooses to respond to him. Right when he is able to listen. And that's, I think, another truth that we can hold on to. God reveals his plans when we are ready to listen. See, God already, has, already knows your future. He already knows the pathway that he has planned for you. But sometimes we are not able to listen or ready to listen. This is what he does for Elijah, and this is what he can do for us. For Elijah, he was used to hearing God. But this time, it took a little while. He needed strength for the journey. He needed a change of location. He needed a respite from the chaos and the noise. He needed to get away from some of the people who were trying to kill him. And in this place, he listened to God's plans and he saw a glimpse of God's way and God's will in the stillness of a whisper. Have you ever had someone just start to talk softer and softer and How do you have to hear them? You have to get really quiet, and sometimes you have to even get closer and lean in. I imagine that's kind of what God is going for here with him. Maybe that's what he needs from you. He speaks to Elijah in a way that he would be able to hear and listen and trust that God actually knows what he's doing. He's actually in control of our lives. I believe this is often the case for us. We have difficulty hearing, let alone listening to God. With everything going on around us, all the busyness. All of us have a thing or two to learn, even Elijah. And this is what God says. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, 200 miles back north and even further. Go to the desert of Damascus, way up north. You're basically making the whole return trip. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. 
also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehlah. Don't worry, no one, none of us know how to say those words. To succeed you as prophet. The person who will follow you. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not yet kissed him. This is where when God speaks, he reassures our fears. Elijah doesn't know how to go on. He's afraid. He thinks he's alone. I'm the only one left. And God says, I've already got the plan. Here it is. And guess what? You're not alone. There's actually, do you know that there's actually 7,000 people that have not worshipped this false god? I'm reserving them for myself. You are not alone. It's exactly what Elijah needs to hear. We are not alone, even though I can feel that way. We learn a lot from God and about how God not only wants us to pray, but how God responds to our prayers. We know that God cares for us. We know that God shows up in those moments when we most need him. We know that God will reveal his plans when we're ready to listen. We know that God reassures our fears, but we still need to be reminded of these truths over and over because we are fearful and forgetful people. And Elijah, for how great he was, was no different. How has God shown up for you, my friends? in your moments of despair and fear, crying out to God for his mercy, how have you experienced his faithfulness, his listening ear, his greatness, and his goodness? How has God shown his care for you? You could take each of those four points and you could turn them into a question this morning. How has God provided what you need so that you're able to respond and listen to him once again? How has God revealed his plan, his purpose for you? How has God reassured your fears, reminding you that in a time of darkness, he is the light and you are not alone? In fact, you are never alone. I'm excited to look at other examples of prayer in the Bible. We'll be looking at six different examples, and not just prayers, but helping us to develop this posture of prayer where we can become deeply connected and deeply rooted in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now will you receive the blessing. May the God who invites us into his good and holy presence, the Savior who intercedes on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit who speaks our pain with sighs and groans too deep for words. May Lord God Almighty go before you and guide you this week, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great week, church. I look forward to seeing you.